Yo, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid, <laughs> and I haven't spoken to you guys in a week. I haven't spoken to you guys in an entire week, and uh, I'm excited for this episode. I know a lot of people um, are excited for this episode for obvious reasons. My prediction was wrong. My Super Bowl prediction was wrong um, for two straight years, and I really pride myself on these predictions, but for two straight years, my predictions have been wrong, and uh <laughs> Boy, oh boy! So many people have let me know about it. They have, they, they have let, they, have, they, 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 they reminded me. You picked Kansas City. You were so confident in Patrick Mahomes. You were so confident in Andy Reid. I was, I was, I was very confident. I was very confident. Um, and as you, as you guys all know, the Bucks they won the Super Bowl. Temp, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl. So, obviously, you you guys know where we're going to start. I'm going to be talking about it for most of this episode. Uh, I am going to get into Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I told you guys. Never mind. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, interesting story. But, of course, I got to take this L with a, with a grain of salt because um, the Buccaneers, they just absolutely destroyed Kansas City in the Super Bowl 31-9. to And let's just all be honest, right? I was honest. I was wrong. I was My prediction was wrong. My prediction was wrong. But did anybody see Tampa Bay dominating? Even the people that predicted that Tampa Bay would win, did anyone see this type of game coming? I did not. Like, if you would have told me Tampa Bay was only going to give up nine points and the Chiefs don't score a touchdown, I wouldn't have believed you. I wouldn't have believed you. I did not. No, And nobody thought the Buccaneers were going to dominate in this type of fashion. It was amazing. And it had me thinking about, obviously, I'm going to get to Tom Brady, obviously. But it did have me thinking about the dominant defensive performances that I've seen in the, in Super Bowl history. And I must say, Todd Bowles did a hell of a job. I've been, I've been, I've been talking about Todd Bowles all throughout the year. I did not I did not see this type of performance coming. But the game plan that Todd Bowles put together was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. And obviously the Tampa Bay defense, they executed and they and they had one of the best defensive performances in Super Bowl history. And mind you, I mean, this Buccaneers defense, it's a good defense. It's not, it's not a it's not the they're not the purple people eaters. They're not the 70s still curtain. They're not the 70 Steelers. They're not the 85 Bears. They're not, they're not that those teams. Um, even statistically, this year they weren't the best defense in the league. But obviously, they have a lot of talent. A lot of talent at, at all three phases of their defense. And they just executed a really um thought-out game plan and they executed it. 
They executed it to a T. And it had me thinking of some of the best defensive performances in Super Bowl history. Not necessarily the best defense, because we all know this, like I said, Tampa Bay, (laughs) even though they look like it, they weren't. They, they're, they're, they weren't the, the 70s steel curtain or they, they weren't the purple people eaters. But it had me it, this this type of performance had me thinking of the lines of, uh, I must say, Bill Belichick in the New York Giants when Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator and Bill Parcells was the head coach. And the Giants completely dominated and shut down that explosive Bills offense led by Jim Kelly. The only thing is. Bill Belichick had Lawrence Taylor to work with. <laughs> Todd Bowles didn't have a Lawrence Taylor. Somebody, see, he, had, he had some good players. He had some good players all throughout the front four, you know, the linebacking core, the secondary, good players. But he didn't have no Lawrence Taylor. And they put, the, they put together that type of performance. And if you remember correctly, that Giants team, you know, defensive coordinator Bill Belichick just completely – shut down and put the shackles on that Bills offense led by Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, you know, you know those guys. And they held them to like 17 points, I think, which is phenomenal. And then Todd Bowles, he nine points, nine points. And the reason why I marvel, the reason why I marvel so much at this performance from Todd Bowles and this defense and this game plan because think about it like this. Todd Todd Bowles philosophy. This is this is this has been a long and everybody knows this around the football world. Todd Bowles philosophy is man-to-man coverage and sending pressure at the opposing quarterback. That is Todd Bowles. That is what he does. That is that is that's how he that's his calling card. Man-to-man coverage and sending pressure at the quarterback. Well, he realized that week 12 performance, Kansas City in the first half put on a show. Tyreek Hill made them look foolish because they played man-to-man and they were blitzing. Instead, Todd Bowles alters and changes and adjusts his game plan, and he played. Instead, he played two high safety, basically cover two, he played a zone, and and basically he said, hey, I'm rushing my four guys. My four guys are good enough to get to your quarterback even with your five offensive linemen. My four guys being Vita Veda, Dominican Sue, Shaq Barrett, and JPP. And he sat back in that zone, and those four guys got after it, and they got after Patrick Mahomes all day all, all throughout the evening, they got through. They got they got to Patrick Mahomes. The only break Patrick Mahomes had that 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 night was the halftime show. That was the only break he had. Any 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 other time, he was running for his life. So a great defensive performance by Todd Bowles in that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. I do think Andy Reid should have made adjustments. I'm going to get to that later, but. I just wanted to point. I just wanted to point out that one point. I think that's so significant in what happened in the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers and this defensive performance that they put together. But now Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl rings. He has five 
He's a five-time Super Bowl MVP. And later, once again, also, later I will dive into Mahomes. I will dive into Mahomes and his performance. And I'm going to tell you guys what I think about it. But Tom Brady, it's it, like, let's be honest. If you were one of those people that was like, nah, Brady ain't the GOAT. Brady not the GOAT. He, he's just not the GOAT. There is no argument now. There is no argument. Brady is undisputably the GOAT. He's the GOAT. He was already the GOAT. I mean, let's be honest. Brady was already the GOAT. But for those people that just, you know, so stubborn, so stuck and saying, nah, Brady ain't the GOAT. Well, he is the GOAT. <laughs> Shut up. He is the GOAT. He is the GOAT. And now, there's so much, like, there's not even a debate anymore that he's the GOAT of the NFL. It's just not even worth debating. It's not even worth my time. So I won't spend much time on that specific piece as far as NFL and the GOAT. Because it's just like, it's no debate anymore. He is. It's okay. He is. So you know what that made me do? That made me look at American team sports athletes. I was I started comparing the greatest the the greatest American team sport athletes of all time. And this is some rare air. This is some rare air. This is a tier that is that 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 a lot of people a lot just it, you just can't put anybody in this tier. This tier is rare air, okay? And Brady was already probably in this class. Even without this Super Bowl win, he was probably already in this class. But I think of three athletes. The three athletes that came to my mind first when I was thinking about the greatest American team sport athletes. These are the three that came to my mind first. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, Tom Brady, and Wayne Gretzky. Those are the three. When I think of American team sports, the greatest American team sport athletes, I thought of those three guys. I thought I I I I'm sorry. I thought of those three guys. Brady is in rare air. I told you guys last, I think a couple weeks ago, Brady literally has, you can literally split Brady's careers. Like he's, he's, he's been in the league for 21 seasons. You can literally go. This is easy math too. seven plus seven plus seven is 21. You can split up his first seven years, the next seven years, in the last seven years, and you have three Hall of Fame resumes. Brady is the only NFL player that can say that. The only other guy, the only NFL NFL player that has two that has two separate Hall of Fame careers in one is Jerry Rice. You can literally take Jerry Jerry Rice first half of his career and second half of his career. And they're both Hall of Fame careers. But Tom Brady has three of them. 
But the reason why I mentioned these three athletes, these three American team sports athletes, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, and Wayne Gretzky, not only is because, you know, Michael Jordan has six championships and six finals MVPs, not only because Wayne Gretzky is, you know, four-time Stanley Cup winner, all-time leader in goals and points and assists, but I was thinking about all-time all-time great athletes, just athletes, just athletes, period. And then that's where I had to scale back because I'm like, okay, team sport, individual sport. Because I look at a guy like Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps, 23 gold medals, 23 gold medals. Michael Phelps is, is the swimmer. If you don't, if you guys don't know, I would, I would, I, I think you guys all know, but just in case you don't know, he has 23 gold medals. I kid you not. Michael Phelps is a human fish. I don't know how I compare that. I also thought of Serena Williams. I think she has 23 Grand Slam titles or like like something something like that, right? Can we can we get can we look at that? Can we look that up for me please? She has 23 Grand Slam titles, right? Like how do I compare that with a team sport athlete? I don't know. I also thought of Usain Bolt. He's the fastest dude ever. I don't know how I compare that. I thought of Muhammad Ali and Floyd Mayweather. I mean, Floyd, 50 and no, obviously. Muhammad Ali, legendary boxer. Um, I'm Like, how do I compare that? Like, I, I mean, how, how, like, how, how do I compare that? How, <laughs> like, my, my, Michael Phelps is a human fish. I, I mean, <sighs> like, how do I compare that? <laughs> how do I compare that? Tiger Woods, how do I compare Tiger Woods' success to a team sport athlete success? I don't know. So I, so I, 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 I didn't include individual athletes. I didn't include individual sports athletes because ultimately you look at these guys like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, and Wayne Gretzky, they ultimately had to depend on other guys, you know, team, other teammates, coaches, front offices to put the best, to give them the best situation to win, right? But as far as like an individual athlete, I mean, everything is in their hands. Everything is in their onus. So I don't know how to I don't know how to judge that. <laughs> I just I just don't know how to judge that. But I look at a guy like Michael Jordan. Obviously, we know the greatness of Michael Jordan. I've told you guys on this ep- on this podcast many a times before, and I don't care how you guys feel about it or how some people feel about it. But Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Let's just, okay. Let's just get that out the way. Uh, six and I, I I can go through reasons. I can go through other reasons why. Um, but I do have other episodes of me explaining that. But just for the just for the mere for the for argument's sake, six championships, six finals MVPs, ten times scoring champion. Like you get the point. You get the gist. Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl championships, five five time Super Bowl MVP, and then Wayne Gretzky, 
Like I said, Wayne Gretzky, Stanley Cup winner four times, nine-time heart winner. <laughs> this dude is a nine-time heart winner. Ten-time Ross winner. All-time leader in goals, points, assists. <laughs> so, you know, when I think of, because I was, because I, I, you know, once again, Brady is the GOAT. I'm not even going to discuss that. He's the GOAT in a, in a, of the NFL. I was comparing him to GOATs of GOATs. And he lines up and he matches up pretty well. Now, you, you guys are probably arguing, well, where do you have Brady at between these three? Or these two other dudes? Well, like I told you guys, I think Michael Jordan, he left. Uh, impressional like he left a such he left he left such a great impression on his fans to this very day Michael Jordan still in sneakers he steals he still outsells LeBron James Kobe Bryant James Harden Kevin Durant Steph Curry Kyrie Irving Paul George Damian Leonard James Harden all these guys he still outsells them by himself 25 years later 20 years later after his playing career, and he still outsells these guys. Now, if Brady if Brady wins eight Super Bowls, I don't know what to say. I, I mean, I, I don't know what you guys want me to say. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But if he does do that, um, then, yeah, he'll probably have to go over Jordan. But I would rank, I would rank, I would rank it Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky. And the fact that Brady was able to leave New England, a place, a system, a location, a team that he was with 20 years, left New England in a pandemic, no, a shortened offseason, basically no offseason really, but a shortened offseason, a new system, a new location, a new team, new teammates. And to win the Super Bowl the way they did in the first year of him coming back, it's pretty phenomenal. That's pretty phenomenal. That 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 that's pretty phenomenal. I don't know what you guys want me to say. Pretty phenomenal. But I, um, next I'm gonna move over. I'm gonna shift over to Patrick Mahomes, and I'm gonna tell you guys why he may have missed. A golden opportunity, but I'm gonna tell you guys why it may not been it may not been all his fault. I'm gonna tell you guys next. So let's move and let's shift gears to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And a lot of people, and I don't know why. I don't, it's so funny how we 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 come up with these questions and narratives after an athlete or a team lose. But I'm all for it. I think it's really I, I think it's really good conversation and debate for those sports shows and you know other podcasts of sort and and all that good stuff. So I'm not mad at it, but we do it a lot in in the sports world, and I, I can't think of an industry that that like that consistently does it as much as the sports world. But that's neither here or there. So people were asking me, how does this loss? impact Patrick Mahomes' legacy? How does this loss impact 
Patrick Mahomes' legacy. Now, obviously, if Mahomes would have won this Super Bowl, that would have been his second Super Bowl back-to-back, and it would have massively helped him in his GOAT case, quote-unquote, right? Um, And it would have been 6-2. to He would have beat Brady in the Super Bowl. You know, it, it just would have helped him massively, obviously. Now, and let's be fair, they lost. Patrick Mahomes lost, and the Kansas City Chiefs lost. And I was, and I, like I said, I was very confident in Patrick Mahomes. I was very confident in Andy Reid, and I was very confident in Eric Bieniemy and this entire Kansas City Chiefs team. I was confident that they were going to win this game. Now, did my confident did, did did my confidence waver? Excuse me, did it waver a little bit? Because of the offensive line injuries, yeah, should have should should that have been a, a sign? Probably, but I, that's how much confidence I had in this team. But if you were watching, if you were actually watching the game, you would be able to tell. You would see if you're going to be honest about the game. No quarterback throughout the league could withstand what Patrick Mahomes withstand yesterday. Like, no other quarterback in the league would have had success against, I mean, behind that offensive line. No other quarterback. Like, I love Deshaun Watson. I love Russell Wilson. I love Aaron Rodgers. You know, Lamar. They wouldn't have withstand it would have looked the same exact thing. And, and in the history books, like when this all goes down to history and this and this and like we're talking about Super Bowls and how did Patrick Mahomes play in this Super Bowl? No like history won't remember Eric Fisher was out. History won't remember all of these details. It would just people will just remember history would just remember. Patrick Mahomes did not play well. He threw for 270 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. That's what history will remember. History won't remember, you know, his receivers dropping passes. It won't remember it, the offensive line issues. It won't remember that. It would just be as a it would just be a law. It would be an L in the loss column. It would be, it would just be an L in the loss column. But like I said. If you, if you're going to be honest about the game, if you were watching the game, you want to be honest, no other quarterback could withstand and overcome those deficiencies in that Super Bowl. Mahomes was pressured 29 times. That was the most of any quarterback in, in Super Bowl history. No other quarterback in the in the history of this league, no other quarterback in the history of the Super Bowl was pressured more than Patrick Mahomes was on Sunday. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, this was probably the biggest gap in offensive line play in Super Bowl history. Like this was the biggest gap that 
this may have been the biggest gap in offensive line play. Like, I think of a guy like Mike Rimmers. Mike Rimmers, offensive tackle. Um, he was the replacement for Eric Fisher. He, you know, needless to say, he didn't do a good job at all. He didn't do a good job. Uh, this was the same Mike Rimmers who let Von Miller win Super Bowl MVP back in 2015. You, you, remember, you guys remember that? The Broncos won the Super Bowl with that defense. Von Miller completely took over that game. Yeah, Mike Rimmers was the one that was supposed to be blocking him. And I'm not gonna just I'm I, like I said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just completely let Patrick Mahomes escape without criticism. But there's 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 there there is a list for me. There is a list of people. Or, or or things that come before that I should criticize before I criticize Patrick Mahomes. First, Andy Reid. And I like and I love Andy Reid to death. And I had a lot of confidence in his offensive creativity, offensive mastermind that he is. But for Andy Reid to stay to run a five-man protection 92% of the time, 92% of the snaps, he ran a five-man protection. It just didn't make sense knowing that his offensive line was in complete shambles just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just does not make a lot of sense to me. I, I, I know he's a great I know he's a great offensive mind, and I, and I had a lot of confidence in him. And you're probably thinking, who am I? Who am I to question Andy Reid? I don't know, but I do know if I if I know my offensive line is in complete shambles, I have rearranged three offense. I have rearranged three of my offensive linemen positions, and so so really. It's a makeshift offensive line, and pretty much nobody knows what they're doing, and they have to go, and they're just they're completely getting dominated and outmatched by by Tampa Bay's front four. I have to make adjustments. I have to add another blocker. I have to add a chipper. I have to add something. And for ninety two percent of the snaps, you had five man protection. Just didn't love it. I just didn't love that move. I just did not love that move from Andy Reid at all. Also, I already mentioned Tampa, Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles. They were running a two a two high safety. Now, for people that that's not you know you don't if you guys don't understand that football terminology, two high safety. As I mentioned in the in the in the previous segment already. Two high safety is basically cover two. And I don't know about you guys, <laughs> but the safeties, and I have a 65 inch, and this both of like both of Tampa Bay's safeties were completely out of the picture. So what is that telling you? That is telling you that the Buccaneers were taking everything away. They were taking the deep shots away. Everything deep, the Buccaneers were taking away. Everything deep, the Buccaneers were taken away. 
And, and like I told you guys, Todd Bowles said, hey, I'm going to sit back in this zone. I'm going to have my safe. I'm going to have both of my safeties over the top. You won't beat me with the big play. And my front four is going to outpower, just outwheel, and just dominate your front five. And that's what happened. Well, if you're Andy Reid, how do you fight back against that? How do you prepare against that? Well, you have to run the football. You have to run the football more. And I felt like for the for the first couple of possessions offensively for Kansas City, I kind of liked what they were doing. Mahomes was getting out of the pocket, scrambling, you know, getting out of the pocket, scrambling for a first down. And I think the big thing here is Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Clyde Edwards-Elaire had nine carries, and for those nine carries, he averaged seven yards per carry. So he was running the football effectively and getting great and getting good a good amount of yardage. But Andy Reid did not continue to run the football. They can the the Kansas City Chiefs insisted on continuing to just drop back and throw the football. Because if your quarterback is under duress, if your quarterback is under pressure, first of all, there's two ways to get it done. There's two ways to solve that. First, you either run the football, loosen up that defense, so you force one of those, so you force them to get out that cover too, and you force one of those safeties to come into the box, and then that's where you exploit that man-to-man coverage and get those deep shots that you love, or you you have more than the regular five-man protection because you know your five-man protection, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work because you have a you have a your, your offensive line once again it's in shambles. So. I can I blame Andy Reid on that. I I got I got to give Andy Reid some some heat on that. I got to criticize him for that. So it, it it was a coaching failure right there. Let's just start right. It was a coaching failure. It didn't help that Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, it it didn't help that they dropped a couple passes. Tyreek Hill, he dropped a touchdown pass. So that didn't help Travis Kelsey. Um I remember one of his drops, he had a third he had a big time third down drop. You kind of need those. You want to keep the drive going. And that was right after that 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 Travis Kelsey drop. That was right after that fourth and goal stuff that the Kansas City defense had. And then also from Andy Reid, towards the end of the first half, I thought Andy Reid got a bit anxious. I thought he got a bit nervous. I thought he got a bit nervous. I thought Andy Reid got a bit nervous a little bit. He called – so after the Kansas City Chiefs, they go down and they kick a field goal and the score is 14-6. to six. It's almost halftime. Andy Reid calls timeout on third and two. Me personally, I wouldn't have called timeout on third and two. That's a third and manageable because if Tampa Bay picks up that third and two, they're going to be aggressive and take shots. That wasn't Tampa Bay's – Tampa Bay – in at the the last drive of the first half, Tampa Bay was completely fine going into halftime up 14 to 6. But Andy Reid burnt two of those timeouts. And then that led to Tampa Bay converting the first down. And then 
They go down the field to score. Now, everybody's talking about these penalties, these penalties, these penalties in the first half. And to be honest, I completely I, – I, I agree. I agree. I think some of the flags were a bit egregious. I didn't agree with the penalties. I didn't agree with some of the penalties. And the pass interference calls, I thought some of those throws were a bit uncatchable. I thought they were. I thought they were a bit uncatchable. I'm just gonna put it like that. Um, the Tyron Matthew interception that they called back. I thought that intercept. That I mean, they called the holding, but it wasn't on Tyron Matthew. But that the hold came like that happened 30 yards away from the play. So I don't know, but Andy Reid, with him calling timeout on third and two, that led to the that led to the Mike Evans down the field play where Breland commits the pass interference, and then they get into the red zone. Once again, Tyron Matthew, he had the pass interference call. Now, I don't – I don't, I, especially the, Ty, the Tyron Matthew call in the, in, in the end zone, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that penalty. I did not agree with that penalty. That ball was not catchable. But Andy Reid calling the timeout on third and two, that's what led to those pass interference calls. So – Kansas City, you know, they were a bit aggressive. They were a bit, you know, they 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 were really touchy. They were really touchy, sticky coverage. But I, I, you know, Andy Reid, I thought he could have been a, a bit better with the play calling, um, with some adjustments. Even after halftime, the adjustments still weren't made. In those timeouts at the end of the half, I did not agree with it because I'm thinking at the end of the half, Kansas City down fourteen to six. I'm like. This is exactly where you want to be after that bad first half. But instead of the score being 14 to 6, it was 21 to 6 because Andy Reid calls timeout, those two pass interference calls, and then that led to a touch and that led to a touchdown. So in the and then Kansas City's defense, it, after the first two possessions of the game, after those first two possessions, the Kansas City's defense was just awful. It was just, it was just getting, it was, it was just awful. But I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not trying to eliminate Patrick Mahomes from any, um, from like any criticism. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to eliminate him from any criticism. But I do like there were, there were structural failures within between the coaching staff and the players and the receivers and the offensive line. But like I said, when we're having this talk about. Super Bowl 55, the talk won't be about Eric Fisher and the offensive line struggles and injuries. Like, people won't remember that. People would just remember Patrick Mahomes had a bad game. Like, that was his worst game as a professional, and that was the worst game that he's ever played since high school. That's what people will remember. Patrick Mahomes, until... until the Super Bowl, he never lost a game more. He never got blown out, basically. He didn't lose a game by a single possession since uh, Texas Tech. In his professional career before the Super Bowl, he never got blown out. He never lost a game less than seven points. And now that's a stain. So I'm not eliminating, from, I'm not eliminating criticism from Mahomes, but – there were things that happened or there were there were people and things that I would criticize before I even criticized Mahomes. He made some spectacular throws that turned into incompletions, 
because of drops. Simple as that. Simple as that. I'll be back. I'm going to talk about some Russell Wilson and this Seattle story. This is really interesting. Hey, y'all. I mean, okay, you want some new sportswear? You want some new sports apparel? You want to rep your favorite team? What are you waiting for? Go over to the 47 brand. They have up to a 30% sale right now. Up to a 30% sale right now at the 47 brand. They have your favorite teams. It don't matter what sport, what league. It can be college football. It can be NBA, NFL, MLB, um, NHL. It does not matter. The 47 brand has it. Go over there. Rep your favorite team. Don't miss out on that sale. The 47 brand. So how fitting is this? Uh, We got an interesting, intriguing Russell Wilson story that's been buzzing over the last 24 hours. And um, I got my Russell Wilson shirt on as I'm recording this episode. And as you guys know, I mean, I'm a big time sports guy. I usually have a jersey on or like a shirt on, you know. And it's just, it's just so happened that I got a Russell Wilson shirt on. But Russell Wilson, uh, the report is, let's get the let's get the exact report. He is frustrated. He is frustrated. Russell Wilson and his camp, they're upset at the fact that the Seahawks have been unable. They have shown the inability to protect him. Russell Wilson has been sacked 394 times in the last nine seasons. And as you can probably guess, that is the most over this span of time. Also, Russell Wilson has been sacked 100 more times than any other quarterback since he's entered the league in 2012. So he's been sacked 100 more times than any other quarterback since becoming a professional quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And, (laughs) boy, oh, boy, it is so funny how these things come true. Because I was the same guy last offseason. Remember, for all the regular listeners, if you're a new listener, okay, I would advise you to listen up clearly. But all for all the regular listeners, you guys remember back last year around this time when Jamal Adams was on the trading block and the Seattle Seahawks went after him? You guys remember that? Well, during that time, when I first broke down the, the Jamal Adams trade to the Seattle Seahawks, I explained and I expressed this seems like a reach. And I'm in and, and, and by any and by no means, I'm not saying Jamal Adams is not a great player. He is a terrific, he is an awesome player. He's one of the best safeties in football. And he was definitely a he was, I mean, he was the best, he was a difference maker on defense. Arguably their best player on defense. So I'm not saying I'm not saying Jamal Adams, you know, isn't worth it at all. I'm not and I'm not trying to belittle or or you know, I'm not trying to belittle him as a player. But I told you guys when the Seattle Seahawks traded for him, 
I told you guys, it seems like a reach because over the past few years, the Seattle Seahawks have been unable. They have shown, once again, this word, inability. This word is going to be really important. They have shown the inability to draft properly. That's what I said last year. And I said, hey, Russell Wilson, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Seattle's, I mean, Sierra has already given, Sierra has already given the check. She's already been given the check of, the check off where, can we leave Seattle? She's already, she's already gave him the, the head nod. And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to reach, but Russ, I don't know how long, like Russell Wilson, he wants to play football for a long time. I, I don't know if his career ends in Seattle. I don't know, but now, a couple weeks ago, the Seattle Seahawks, they fired Marty Schottenheimer. I mean, oh my God, rest in peace to Marty Schottenheimer. They, fi they fired Schottenheimer, Marty Schottenheimer's son. They fired, they, they, they fired, they fired Schottie. And I said, this is very critical that the Seattle Seahawks do not screw up this next hiring of the offensive coordinator. And Russell Wilson, as the best player in franchise history, should be involved with the hiring. And he's the quarterback. He should be involved with the hiring. Okay? So, now, this report is out. Russell Wilson, in his camp, they're frustrated and they're growing in frustration due to all of the hits and all of the sacks he has taken due to Seattle and them showing the inability to not draft properly. Now get this, since Russell Wilson Seattle get do you find do you guys find this like shocking? The Seahawks have drafted one offensive lineman since having Russell Wilson as their quarterback. Literally, they have drafted one offensive lineman for Russell Wilson since he's been his, since he's been their quarterback. And a lot of people say, well, Russell Wilson, he's holding on to the ball too long. He's holding on to the ball too long. Well, the Seahawks offensively and it can't and also once again I talked about the Seahawks offense towards the latter part of the year it got really stagnant teams started to figure it out DK Metcalf even said it teams started to figure them out and you know what happened the Seattle Seahawks they don't have an intermediate game they don't have a quick passing game everything is a deep shot everything is a down the field shot so when when so when so when teams know that and when teams are covering those big shots and those deep shots down the field and you have no intermediate game, you have no quick passing game. Of course you're going to hold on to the ball if you're Russell Wilson, of course. So that's why you saw so many sacks. That's why this year you saw Russell Wilson trying to make plays when they weren't when, like that he was trying to make plays out of nothing, and that would often lead into a turnover. That is why you see that. That's why that's why you saw that. 
The Seahawks don't have no intermediate game. They don't have a quick passing game. Everything is a deep shot down the field. And we all know Pete's, Pete Carroll's philosophy is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And yeah, I forgot to tell you, run the ball. Seattle, Pete, if you if, if it if it was up to Pete Carroll, he would run the ball on first, on first down, on second down. And if it's and if it's third and manageable, he'd probably run it on third down. If if it if it was up to Pete Curl, because that's his philosophy. That is his philosophy. He's a run first guy, but he has to he has to take the shackles off of this offense, and that's why they fired Shoddy because Shoddy and Pete Curl had philosophical differences. And Pete Curl, at this point, he seems a bit stubborn because offensively, it's the same case for that defense. Pete Curl been playing that same old cover three for the last 10 years. And like I said, I, I like Pete Curl. Pete Curl probably a cool guy. Never met him, but I, he's probably a cool guy. But he's been playing the same defense for the last 10, 11 years. And now teams are starting to catch on to it. That's why the Seahawks' defense was struggling. Teams were starting to catch on. That same old cover three. Teams know how to beat that now. Teams know how to scheme against that now. So there's, there's some philosophical differences within the Seattle Seahawks organization. And then also, there, Russell Wilson doesn't have a say. And he doesn't, ha he doesn't even have an input within the organization why is that let me play some clips russell this is russell wilson talking in this latest the latest interview russell wilson talking about the lack of input he has on decisions and by the way russell wilson just tries his best to say like <laughs> he answered these questions in such a russell wilson type of way he tries to be as classy as possible and that's just who he is. He's a great guy. But <laughs> Russell Wilson needs to have a seat at the table. If Russell Wilson wants a seat at the table, he should have a damn seat at the table. Here goes the clip. How much input should the quarterback have in organizational moves? Veteran quarterback. Yeah, I think it depends on who it is. You know, I think. Well, how about you? Know. How much do you have any say in what Seattle does offensively with free agents or draft, draft picks? Uh, uh, I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I think that ultimately for me personally, I, you know, I think that I want to be able to ha be involved because at the end of the day, it's your legacy. It's your team's legacy. It's, you know, it's the guys you get to go into the huddle with. And at the end of the day, those guys, you got to trust, you know, when you think about, you know, one of the reasons why Tom went to Tampa was because he, he felt like he could trust those guys and Bruce was going to give him an opportunity. I think, I think for, you know, every situation you have to be able to go into a situation you know, you think about guys like LeBron, he was able to, you know, be around great players that he can trust. I think for, for me, you know, uh, anytime you bring free agents in, you know, other players, you want the best players, guys who love the game, guys you want to be a part of that. And as a player, you kind of know that you get to be around Pro Bowls, you get to kind of see these guys, you get to be in the huddle with the linemen or, or receivers or, you know, um, get to be around defensive guys. And so you kind of you kind of build that over time and get to see who can really play. You know, as a player, you really know. So, I think that um, I think that relationship is really key, and that dialogue between, you know, um, 
you know, especially being a veteran player, you, you know, that dialogue is really important. Yeah, but that's a long-winded way of not answering my question. Are you involved in personnel decisions? Have you been involved in personnel decisions? Not, not as much. I don't, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, do you for me, want to be involved Russ? Yeah, I, I think it helps. I think it helps to, to, to be involved more. Um, but I think that's that dialogue should, should happen more often in my opinion. Yeah. I, but look, I'm worried about the, these numbers. You've been sacked 394 times in your career. So you're, you're going to be the most sacked quarterback in the history of the game. Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you hold on to it a little bit. Uh, OK, so you, you see you see there, Russ, you know, talking about, you know, having more input. And like I said, if you're the Seattle Seahawks. You got to You got to You your awareness has to be on your antennas have to be on because this is the best player. In franchise history, this is a once-in-a-generational type of quarterback. This is a future Hall of Fame quarterback. And if he wants a seat at the table, like I said, give him a seat at the table. If he says, hey, let's can we add to the offensive line? Yeah, add to the offensive line. If he if he, if you know, he wants some input on the on the next offensive coordinator. Give him that. But too often, I think this is a control. I think this is some type of ba some balancing act, a balancing of power with Pete Curl. Pete Curl, like I said, I like Pete Curl. Probably a cool guy. Never met him. Probably a cool guy, but he's stuck in his ways. He's stuck in his ways. And I think the way how the Seahawks play offensively, um, I think teams are starting to catch on to it. It, it. it was it was it was very evident, was much evident um in the last couple, the last several weeks of the season, really. It was it was it was very evident that teams were starting to catch on, defense was starting to catch on to the to the Seahawks offense. A Seahawks offense that looked really explosive and really different the first mm, eight weeks of the season. But something happened, and I don't know if, if 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 Pete Curl took back the rings and said, "Hey, we're going back to this." But something something changed. Something happened, and I have been I've been I've been so constant on this situation, on and off. And I don't know how you, I don't know how serious you guys have taken me now. Obviously, it's serious now because Russell Wilson and his camp has come out and said, "Hey, like." We like we need to get better in certain spots, but I've been I've been dead on about this topic, and I said every Sunday when the Seahawks play, I said every Sunday I'm like, oh boy, when they get behind, when I see the Seahawks trailing and they get behind, I'm like, oh boy, the moment that Russell Wilson steps off the team bus, that's the that's the moment he has to put on his Superman cape because he has to overcome so many things. The lack of an offensive line, uh, sometimes an average or below average running game, uh, you know, subpar defenses. That is what Russ, that's the fact. That is the fact that he has to overcome. Most Sundays, Seahawks, they find themselves trailing, and, 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 and Russell got to pull some magic trick, and he got to put his Superman cape on for them to either come back and have a chance and win the game. And he's just that good where 
they come back and win a lot, but against the better teams, the well-coached teams, the teams that can scheme up well, not going to always be able to win like that. You're not going to be able to always win like that. You're not. And I found this, and, 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 and you also, have you guys been noticing, and I've been talking about this, the Seahawks divisional foe, the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams are super aggressive. You also heard in that clip, Russell Mil- Russell Wilson mentioned Tom Brady, right? He mentioned Tom Brady and his move to Tampa Bay. And I'm also thinking of the Rams' aggressiveness. You have teams like the Seahawks and the Packers who are more conservative teams where they try to build through the draft and they, you know, they want to see stuff through. They want to develop players. But I look at franchises. I look at certain teams that's been aggressive over the last couple years. I look at the Rams. I look at what Brady and the Buccaneers just did. The Rams, the Rams, they, you know, Jerry Goff got to a Super Bowl just two years ago. The Rams move off of his. They move off of him. They move off of him. <laughs> they move off of him and got Matthew Stafford and said, hey, we upgrade at the quarterback position. The Buccaneers, they went when they got Tom, they went all out. They bung back Gronkowski. They went out and got Leonard Fournette. They went out and took a chance and got Antonio Brown. Their defense was already loaded. They took a chance and they they swung. They swung hard. They swung for power. And they took a chance. <laughs> and it panned out. It panned out. Remember, a couple years ago, the Rams took a chance, went out, traded, traded for some guys, spent some money on some guys. They didn't win the Super Bowl, but they got there. Seahawks, Packers, Packers and Aaron Rodgers, they haven't been back to the Super Bowl in the last 10 years. Seahawks and Pete Kerr, Russell Wilson, they haven't gotten past the divisional round in the last six years. You see the trend there? I'm just saying, because, it, it's, it, it, you know, this offseason, I told you guys already, This offseason, we're going to see a lot of quarterback movement. We're going to see a lot of quarterback movement, a lot of new faces in new places. And I told you guys, look at the teams that's being aggressive. Do not, do not, because nowadays in the NFL, a superstar quality player, it seems like most of the superstar players are going for two first-rounders. So teams are taking Big time risk and being aggressive. And I look at teams like the Seahawks and the Packers with two Hall of Fame level quarterbacks, two generational type talents at the quarterback position with Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And these teams have been very conservative on making moves. And I'm not, I know the Seahawks, they went out and got Jamal Adams. I know, I know. But like I told you guys, I felt like that was a reach because they realized, oh my God, we 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 have missed, we have done, we have done poorly, we have done a poor job in the draft as far as our defense. So that was a that was a reach. That was that was that I felt like that was a reach. Jamal Adams, great player, but I felt like it was a reach. But Packers, Seahawks, 
you know, you 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 you're looking at two two conservative franchises who have not made aggressive moves and they continue to fall short of the ultimate goal. It's the reason why. It's the reason why. Organ organization failures and not being aggressive enough. Simple as that. Just simply not being aggressive enough. I'm going to shift gears to um, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and some more on the on the NFL champion, Super Bowl champion, Buccaneers. So I don't want to make this too much longer because I understand um, that uh, I understand this has already been like a jam-packed episode already. But with a lot of information. But uh, I did find something interesting about this Tampa Bay Buccaneers coaching staff. And I absolutely liked it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, so Bruce and Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians is truly, he is truly a trailblazer for this. And as you all, if you guys did not know, Bruce Arians, he had, I think he had, the, I think he had like the deepest coaching staff in the league. We all know Bruce Arians got some health issues and so forth. He, you know, has his health issues and so forth. But he had the deepest staff in the league. But not only that, Bruce Arians arguably had the most diverse coaching staff in the league. And you guys know that I talk about um, black coaches and the lack of diversity in in the coach as far as in in, in the NFL in its coaches and how I, and how I tell you guys hey black coaches deserve more deserve deserve to get more jobs or at least more interview opportunities to to you know get interviewed for certain jobs I mean I, I'm, and by no any means I'm not saying black coaches have all the jobs no I'm not saying there's bad black there's not bad black black coaches because there are but it just seems like Bruce Arians, for example, I mean, he had three black coordinate. All three of his coordinators were black. Uh, his full-time assistant coaches, two of them were black. <laughs> he got he had he also had two women on his coaching staff. <laughs> so, like, so like, and he and he won the Super Bowl. So Bruce Arians, with that type of move, with that type of coaching staff. He's definitely a trailblazer for that. So I, I I really do. I like that. I like I I, I love the fact that uh, a, a big part of his coaching staff, um, his most important coaches in his most important positions were black. And you look at a guy like Todd Bowles. I mentioned Todd Bowles at the top of this episode, and I talked about the 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 defensive performance that the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers put together, but. I told you guys that this Buccaneers defense, it's not the purple. They're not the purple people eaters. They're not the 70 steals, steel curtain. They're not the 85 bears. And I even told you guys it this, 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 this performance, that this defensive performance remind me of the giants with Bill Belichick as their defensive coordinator. But even Bill Belichick had Lawrence Taylor, who was arguably the greatest defensive player to ever live. He had Lawrence Taylor. Todd Bowles didn't have no, he didn't have a Lawrence Taylor. He had some really good players. He had some really great players on his defense, but no Lawrence Taylor. And Todd Bowles, 
completely reversed his philosophy. He 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 reversed his calling card, and he said, "Nope, we're going zone. Nope, we're doing this. We're doing that." And it completely worked. He went cover two and and depended on his front four to generate pressure. Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think I think a lot of people um in the D, in the DC area, I think they have <laughs> some people. <laughs> I, I saw this joke um because Byron Leftwich is uh, from the area, and I saw this joke where people gonna start. They, a lot of people gonna start claiming uh, Byron Leftwich. But Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator, um, he should have been at he should have been interviewed for at least one job this offseason. He wasn't even interviewed. So good news for the Buccaneers and Bruce Arians. You have the same coaching staff for next year, which is which is which is awesome. But with that, with that defensive performance from Todd Bowles, that may have earned him another job. Coming up soon, that may have earned him another head coaching job, and it just shows. Hey, you know you can get it done. You can win with black coaches, because I think sometimes that's often like the president. You know, that's the that's the that's the 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 president that's been set. Like, hey, can't win black coaches, which is not true. You can't, and Bruce Arians did it. And also, um, let's move on. Tom Brady. You know, you know, me watching Tom Brady win this Super Bowl, you know who I thought about? I thought about Bill Belichick, obviously, and Kyle Shanahan. I, I think about, I thought about those two guys because or those two coaches because Bill Belichick, all he had to do was put some better weapons, a better supporting cast around Tom Brady. Tom Brady probably stays in New England, right? Like that's that's the end of that. That's the end all be all. He probably stays in New England if you if Belichick puts a better supporting cast around him. But then I look at the I look at Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers because I'm gonna talk more about this 49ers situation as far as their quarterback situation. Um more and more throughout the offseason. But the 49ers had a chance to sign Tom Brady. He wanted to he he wanted to go to the 49ers. He wanted he wanted to go to the 49ers. 49ers like, nah, we're gonna take our chance with Jimmy Garoppolo again. And I mean, hey, I'm not you know, I'm not saying Jimmy ain't bad, or I'm not saying Jimmy is bad, but you know, Tom Brady come knocking at your door. I'm probably gonna answer. They 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 decided to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo. And now I'm looking at the situation, not only because, you know, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Not only that, but now I'm looking at the 49ers situation, and it's a tough spot because you have Jimmy Garoppolo who, I mean, let's be honest, I, and I like Jimmy Garoppolo, but let's be honest. Jimmy Garoppolo, he is who he is. You know, I, I and it's so hard because if he completes that throw to Emmanuel Sanders, we're not even having this conversation about Jimmy Garoppolo right now. But he did not, and he's been he's been hurt, so he's not reliable. His health is a question mark. Um, his judgment is a bit shaky at times. And now I just wonder what is his trade value, because 
because the, the 49ers tried to go after Matthew Stafford, the Lions declined the 49ers deal or offer, and they took Jared Goff. So Jared Goff's trade value is higher than Jimmy Garoppolo's. But Jimmy Garoppolo, you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, judgment, kind of iffy. He's maybe an average, uh, he's maybe a, like a little bit above average quarterback, but he's always hurt. So what is what is his actual trade value? And is San Francisco, are they going to be able to move off of him? Don't know. Don't know. Maybe New England, maybe Belichick, maybe Belichick comes back and, and snags Jimmy Garoppolo. But I don't know. I don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo's value is as far as a trade asset. And the 49ers right now are in a tough spot to be in right now. They're in a tough spot. So I do wor- I, I do wonder about that. I do. But now I'm going to give out um, some report cards, some grades on um, the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think. Do I want to give? Do I want to give up report cards? Yeah, we'll do it. Okay, let's go. So first on my list, uh, let's just do. Let's start with Bruce Arians. Um, I'm gonna give Bruce Arians a report card. I'm gonna give him an A. And I think Bruce Arians, I'm gonna give Bruce Arians an A um for this report card because I feel like he kind of he earned this grade throughout the season. You know what I mean? He earned this grade throughout the season. Um, he he took a lot of criticism, a lot of he took a lot of heat and a lot of criticism throughout the season for how he publicly criticized Tom Brady and how he used to and, and and you guys remember, I used to talk about it and how you know I used to talk about the relationship between the two. But you know, he I felt like he got a lot of heat. He used to get a lot of heat after he, you know, publicly bashed Tom Brady and so forth and people like, "Oh, what do you know? You don't you haven't won a Super Bowl. He's won six and so forth. They used that against him. But he has done a good job with adapting. Um, it seems like him and Tom have a pretty cool relationship, I would say. Um, and he and like I said, I, I, I gave him props a couple minutes ago on the coaching staff that he had. He's a trailblazer as far as uh the as far as the diverse coaching staff that he had. He's a trailblazer for sure. So I give Bruce Arians an A. Next up, um, Andy Reid. Okay. Uh, Andy Reid. I give him. I'm going to give Andy Reid a D. I'm going to give I'm, I'm going to give Andy Reid a D because, like I said, I like Andy Reid. He's one of my favorite coaches. I thought he used to – I thought a, a lot of time in Philadelphia, like his time doing in Philadelphia, I thought he got wrongfully criticized. But in this game, in this Super Bowl, Andy Reid, there were some coaching failures, and he got completely outcoached. Um, the, the Kansas City Chiefs got outmanned, but it started with the coaching, and they got outcoached. Andy Reid, 
He didn't make adjustments. He didn't make the proper adjustments to align with the defense that the Buccaneers were playing. And it showed, and it was like, like what, once again, Todd Bowles, he changed, he got away from his calling card. Todd Bowles didn't play that same old man that he loves. He didn't play the man that, 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 you know, that he loves to play. So despite, what Andy Reid thought as far as like what's what's going to win the game and what they're really and what Kansas City is good at, he should have did what Todd Bowles did, adjust your game plan to the opponent. And Andy Reid failed to do that, so I'm gonna give him a D. I also thought like that timeout at the end of the first half. I thought that was kind of crucial. Um, now I'm I don't think I'm not I'm not saying I would have done a better job because. I'm not a coach. Like the time management thing would be really hard for me to track, but I'm gonna give Andy Reid a D. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're being honest, I, I, I'm gonna give Andy Reid a D. As much as I like him, as much as as much confidence as I had in him, um, going into that game, I'm gonna give him a D. Be honest. Um, Tom Brady. Okay, uh, I'm gonna give Tom Brady an A. I'm gonna give him an A. I'm gonna give him an A. He didn't have to do much. Uh, it was a, it was a complete, it was a complete domination from the, from the Buccaneers. Like after the, like offensively after their first two drives, the Buccaneers just, they just had it flowing. They had it flowing. Did the penalties help? Sure. But he threw three touchdowns. He was pretty efficient. <laughs> you, you know, they ran the ball pretty well. Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl. So I'm going to give him an A. It's kind of hard to not give him an A after that performance and after winning a seventh. So I'm going to give him an A. Uh, next on the list, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. Uh, this is going to be an F. I'm going to give this an F because I look at, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it an F. They failed. They failed miserably. And like I said, could the coaching, could like could Andy, could, could Andy Reid have been better? Yeah, sure. But they were just letting guys loose. Like they were just, they were just letting JPP and Adamican Sue just push them around. So I'm gonna give the offensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs an F. Just a straight F. Yes. Um, next on my list, Patrick Mahomes. This is tough. Um, I'm gonna give Patrick Mahomes a C a, a C plus. I'm gonna give him a C plus. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna completely fail him because once again there were there were things and people that I would criticize before I even get to Patrick Mahomes. Um, like I said, Andy Reid, you know, the lack of game planning, offensive line was horrible, couple drop passes, even after some remarkable throws and efforts. So I'm gonna give Patrick Mahomes a C plus. I, I think I think I'm gonna give him a C. Yeah, I'm gonna give him a C. I, I, you know, it wasn't his best performance. Could he have played better? Sure. Did he miss some throws? Sure. But I can't really give him the full blame on this one. So I'm gonna give him a C, a C plus. I'm gonna give him a C plus. Um, next on my list, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. I'm gonna give it an A plus. This is this is gonna be the A plus that I give out. I'm, I'm gonna give it an A plus. I think um, they, like I said, the defense it was one of the best defensive performances that I've seen 
over the last um since I've been watching the Super Bowl, it's it's one of the best defensive performances that I've seen. And then I also dated back to uh the Bills and Giants Super Bowl where the the Giants just completely just outmanned uh the Bills offense led by defensive coordinator Bill Belichick. Uh so yeah. Those are my grades. Yeah, those are my grades for the Super Bowl. I feel pretty good about those. Um, so yeah, I see you guys on on the next episode. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. And by the way, people don't want to bring this up, and I hate to be this guy, but Brady has seven Super Bowl rings. Belichick has eight Super Bowl rings, if you want to be honest. He has six, obviously he has six Super Bowl rings as the Patriots coach coach. But then he has two additional rings as the, as the defensive coordinator for the Giants. So really, Belichick is still up one. Nah, I'm kidding. But Belichick, no, seriously, Belichick, he does have eight rings. He, he can show you eight Super Bowl rings. I think Brady's the GOAT, but in Brady, you know, he's kind of the Patriot way. But Belichick does have eight Super Bowl rings. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going to let you guys go. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, really appreciate it. <laughs> I, um, I was, uh, you know, I, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people had me under scrutiny cause I got my prediction wrong and so forth, but thank you guys for continuing to tune in and, you know, show the pod some support. Always remember two choices, one decision, one decision. Um, continue to stream and download this podcast wherever you continue to stream it from any DSP. <laughs> uh, I catch you guys in the next episode in peace. Deuces. I'm gone. Peace. <laughs>